Hello and welcome to the Open Minds Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Pizarras, and today we have a very special guest. She is a neuroscientist, a counsellor, a business consultant, and is also the founder and managing director of Clever Minds Consulting. I'd like to welcome Dr. Diane Harner. Diane, how are you? Good, thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming along. And I should just point out I met Diane um, in the circle of uh, an event called uh, MindFit Founders. I believe that's the first time we we met Diane. And MindFit Founders is more or less an initiative um, by a leading co-working space here in Brisbane that really seeks to help entrepreneurs, uh, business owners, uh, founders of, of tech startups, um, in order to, you know, assist them with things like, you know, dealing with stress and, and everything that comes with, uh, with starting a business. So I met Diane then, and since then we've worked together on one occasion with um, the Open Mind Institute's event, BrainHack, which is annu- an annual event. Um, where we bring together experts, and I was so impressed with uh, with Diane. The feedback Diane we got from what you had to say on that event has, has been amazing. Oh, right. So thank you very much for coming. And I thought we'd just start if you could let the listeners know a little bit more about what inspired you to study the field of neuroscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that goes back quite a way, actually. So when I was growing up. Um, my mother was the uh, matron of a home for the intellectually and physically handicapped. And so from very young age, I was um, in this environment where there was neurological dysfunction. Wow. I didn't call it that at the time, but, yeah. you know, that's that's um, the kind of environment that I was in. So mm. I just became intensely curious about what was going on in the the brains and the bodies of these children who were so um, handicapped. And I think that's where it started, but I've always been fascinated by the human body. Yeah. And um, uh, I've always read lots of books about the human body and um, showing what was inside the body and showing the brain and, and figuring out how everything worked. And so initially I wanted to be a forensic scientist, actually. Right, okay. Um, But then through the course of my degree, uh, I became more and more interested in the functioning of the uh, central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. Right. And then I uh, did my first project in neuroscience in my honours year, and I was looking at the brains of boxers, so people who had been involved in boxing. And also, um, quite uniquely, the brains of dwarfs right. who had been involved in dwarf throwing. Right, okay. So, and doing a comparison. In the, yeah, wow. so what they were showing is that they had very similar brain injuries and developed a condition called dementia pugilistica, which is um, called punch drunkenness. Right, okay. And so I was looking at the brains of um, these uh, two groups and seeing the, the similarities and the differences. And it was from then that I just really became obsessed by the brain. And um, Wow. Yeah. So one thing led to another and you got a PhD in neuroscience. Yeah. Was that like looking back as a student, was it an, I guess, you know, when you're, when you're passionate about something, hmm. um, things seem to go along quite nicely, but were there any times in your studies that it felt quite you know, of, um, you know, like did you have any stressful moments or was it ever onerous in terms of your workload or was it just a matter of you loving what you were doing? And 
So You're immersing yourself in it. Um, my honours year, yeah. I often refer to that as one of the most stressful years of my life. Yes, and yeah, I yeah. think a lot of honours students find that. Um, and if there's any honours students out there, <laughs> my advice is to just keep going. Yeah, keep moving um, forward. Because yeah. it feels like it's just a big test to see who can get to the end. Yes, yeah. Um, because the amount of... Um, knowledge you can gain in an honours year is pretty limited yes, yeah. um, because it's such a short period of time and there's so much to do. Um, but what it does um, or what it did yeah. create in me was a persistence and a resilience no doubt. Um, about work. Yeah. And would you say that's something you come to realise afterwards? Like, you know, when you're in the storm, mm. it's very hard to adopt that mindset, well, look, I'm growing from this, I'm learning from this, this is a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I think the thing is also is when you're in the middle of the storm, you don't realise how bad things are. Yeah, yeah. And it was actually um, at the end of that honours year and the start of the next that I had the mental health episode myself right, yeah. as a result of the extreme stress that I was under during that honours year. Right. Um, and it yeah. came upon me quite suddenly and um, as the brain tends to do, it works until it doesn't. And... Um, so, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that's one of the challenges that we have around um, mm. stress and mental health is that the, the brain normalises things so much that we often don't realise how bad things are. Yes, yeah, mm. when it's happening. And, I mean, looking back, you know, you were studying neuroscience, learning about the mind, dealing with your own mental health issues. Mm. You know, I think it's something I can, I can relate to when I was studying law. Um, before that, I did behavioural science, and, and like you, I was dealing with mental health issues myself you're quite right when you're in the you know, the storm it's very sort of hard to to realize all the different facets going on but was there ever a moment think that you had to yourself where you may, may have thought well you know oh, shit here i am learning about the brain i'm grappling with my own mental health like was it any moments you, you gave yourself a bit of a bird's eye perspective or was it just a matter of you trying to get day you know mm. get through the day Day by day. <laughs> that kind of wisdom came a bit later, actually. Yes, so when I yeah. was in my early 20s, I didn't really have the insight to yeah. take that step back. Yes, yeah. Um, but it was actually my first year in leadership when I really started to right. apply neuroscience to the, the work situation, which has pretty much brought me to where I am now. So right, my okay. first year in leadership is terrible. Yeah. Really um, I, I, I didn't do a good job at all. And, and it wasn't because I didn't have a good work ethic mm. or I didn't have a good strategy. It was because I didn't understand my people. Right. I was so um, committed to making sure that I was doing a good job and that mm. I could prove to the people who had put me in that position that I was worthy of that position. Sure. And, and you know, the greatest trick that our brain plays on us is convincing us that we think the same as everybody else does. But the reality is yeah. everybody is different and unique. Yeah. And so what I was uh, doing is I was setting up an environment that worked for me, but I didn't really consider whether it worked for the people that were working with me. Right. And so yeah. it was at that moment that I thought, I've got to really figure out how mm -hmm. these people think and, yeah. and how to motivate them and, and how to engage them. And it was then that I stood, stood back and I took that helicopter view and I thought, right, okay, okay. Let, let's look at what's going on. Here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I dare say that's a common obstacle that many leaders face. It's almost having these blinkers on or a very sort of, tunnel vision of you know what's good for me will 
be good for my team, but not necessarily mm. the case. Yeah. yeah. I think there's something with, with coming of, of age where you look back and you're able to reflect. And again, you know, going back to if there's any listeners being students, it wasn't until many years after die that I, um, you know, like you, you think to yourself, well, this was a really good year that I had in my life. You know, like for instance, when I was 19, 33, but they were looking back, they were the easy years when I had a lot of fun. Mm. And, and now, you know, as an adult, and, and I look back and I think, well, no, because you do develop a bit of a growth mindset or you look at things more objectively. So I now consider, you know, my the, the best years, the hardest years, like the year my old man passed away or when mm. I did, because they're the years you do, you're doing the most growth. Yes. Inevitably. You know, so, but I'm really interested in, you know, you, you mentioned the, the leadership piece there. What led to the, the fusion um, of, of you helping the business world mm. and combining neuroscience with, with that? Was it that leadership role that you had, would you say? Yeah, yeah. yeah it really was. Yeah. So uh, I started to sort of unpack um, what was going on for my people and I looked at each of them as an individual yes. to understand what motivated them, um, what what threatened them, um, how to get the best out of them. Yeah. And I did that from the perspective of leadership, but then I also applied neuroscience to sales and how to engage customers and how to understand wow. them yeah. and how to understand their problem. And within the company that I was working for, I, I developed um, training programs and, and workshops sure. to talk about these things because it seemed to be getting traction. And certainly yeah. as a leader, I was doing much better yes. once I started focusing right. on how to engage my okay. people. Wow. And so I, I did that for a few years mm. in the organisation and it was at that point that I thought that I wanted to sort of broaden my horizons yeah. and I stepped out of um, my corporate role and started Clever Minds Consulting. That's about four years ago now. Four years ago, okay. And um, so my idea was that I wanted to help people in leadership and I wanted to help people who were in sales and help people in education right. to understand how to enhance their performance yes. with the brain in mind yep. because the brain orchestrates everything we think, feel, say and do it so sure does. it makes sense to understand how it works to yep. get the best out of it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And is there a common thread in terms of your, your clientele or what you're seeing in the business world? What are people most grappling with today? Mm. Um, Self-doubt's a big one. Yes. Um, yeah. And usually the people who I work with um, are, are sitting in front of me because they, they want to move forward or they want to, to move up in an organisation, but there's some kind of um, block, yeah. um, barrier, barrier to them progressing forward. Yeah. And uh, self-doubt often comes up as, as one of those things and it's, you know, people just don't, um, feel like they trust their own abilities yes. and believe in their own abilities. Yes. So yep. we work a lot with that. Um, perfectionism is a, another big one. Um, you know, we we are in a world where we are watched yes. constantly yeah, and yeah. we are judged constantly. So true. And I think that really plays on our mind. So there is a, a drive to be mm. perfect in everything we do yep. and, and to not make mistakes and to get it right the mm. first time. And if we feel we can't do that, Often that can lead to procrastination, which is yeah. a, a, another thing that I see as a big problem. Yeah. Is because if you don't do anything, if you don't take a step forward, you, you can't fail. Yeah, it. yeah. So would you say there's an overlap there? 
Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So self-doubt, procrastination mm. and perfectionism often travel in a pack. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Fascinating stuff. And would you say, you know, talking about barriers, I think a lot of the times we, we, we not getting to the bottom of what's causing us this, this mental angst or not being able to move forward. Mm. I think a lot of the times we care too much about ex- externalities, but it's like it's a subliminal thing, would you say? Like, you know, we're, we're living our lives in accordance with other people's judgment. And sometimes mm. if you're not self-aware, you're not really cognizant of that. Yeah. Um, so how do you help clients who perhaps have become so conditioned that they, they do have these blinkers on, um, become more self-aware or, or realise that, you know, what's the, the, the real obstacle here is you're carrying too much of the external world. You need to learn more about becoming, you know, more holistic or whatever it might be yourself. How, how do you go about helping clients in that regard? Yeah, I think the challenge here is that we spend an enormous amount of our lives on um, – uh, automatic routines, yes, so yeah. behavioural scripts. Right, we're on the treadmill. We're going through our days. We're doing what we've always done. Yeah. Um, and in fact, ninety-five percent of the decisions we make every day are subconscious. Yes, yeah. and some neuroscientists say that's a bit generous that we actually control five percent. Wow. wow. Um, so what I do actually is I help people to become more self-aware and deliberate in their thinking and behaviour. Okay. So then they can orchestrate the next move. They can be proactive about yep. improving their performance. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's a very simple thing. It's actually just stopping and taking that time to be introspective and taking that yeah. time to check in with your body, to, yeah. to check in with your thinking. Just and be more present. Yeah, understanding whether the choices that you're making are actually serving you and, you know, spending time with mm. a mentor for, you know, an hour and a half every few weeks yes. is it's so important in itself you're is right. that time yeah. where you can step out and you can have that time to be self-reflective yeah. and become more self-aware of not only mm. your own thinking and behaviour but also the behaviour of others so you can become more empathetic yeah. to yeah. the position of other people, whether it be the people that you work with mm. or the people in your team or the, the people directly above you. So true, so true. I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of people are in this tornado whereby they might if I was to play devil's advocate to what you just said you know some executives might say well look I don't have time to to stand still I've got you know this hectic calendar mm. you know um and I think it can, be, it can be very for a lot of people I think the penny hasn't dropped that in order for you to to perform at your best in order for you to to lead your team efficiently you need to make time for yourself mm. to become more present to become more self-aware um, Diane, one thing I'm very fascinated in is how technology, I think you made reference there to, you know, we are bombarded by so many messages and so so many externalities. Um, how would you, and I'm not sure if you can use neuroscience to answer this, but, but how is technology affecting people's brains in terms of becoming more aware? Is it a hindrance or or what sort of analysis can you sort of put on that how Mm. is technology really affecting us in this day and age yeah i think there are a couple of different ways so Mm -hmm. um the front part of our brain which is called the prefrontal cortex is where our working memory sits right and i think we don't or we're not forced to use our working memory 
as much as we used to be because we don't have to remember anybody's phone number anymore. Exactly, yeah. If you need to know the answer to a question, yeah. um, you just Google it. So true, yeah. So there, there's this um, immediacy of the availability of information yeah. that doesn't challenge us to manipulate information and to consolidate memories. Right, yeah. And I think that's probably one of the first things that's that's being affected. And, so um, we're not using our brains I don't think we're, we're exercising we're, our working yeah. memory as well as yeah. we could be. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is mm -hmm. sustained attention. So the ability to sit with something and focus and remain right. focused for an extended period of time. Right, okay. So um, we don't get bored anymore. Yes, yes. So um, whenever we are, are sitting with something, mm. Um, whenever we feel the slightest bit like we don't want to be doing it anymore, we can quickly change to something else. We can check our emails. We can surf the internet. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can get on Snapchat or Instagram or Pinterest or whatever it is. Instant right? gratification, yeah. yeah, because yeah. whenever we feel that slight little bit of negative affect about yeah. the task that we're doing, we can just switch to so something else. We can move to something else. And mm. does that mean there's, there's unresolved things happening internally like if something's upsetting us when you know we're, we're getting distracted moving to something else does that eat away um, would you say or? so uh, there's a couple of things mm. there so um sustained attention is like a muscle so if right. you don't practice sustained attention yes. you you don't get better at it right. uh so you know, the, the brain likes to conserve energy. It's an energy-conserving organ. Gotcha, so yes. it wants to find the path of least resistance. Yeah. If it feels like it needs to step up the cognitive efforts, yeah. it, it will resist. Um, so overcoming that sort of um, in, in, innate driver yeah. is part of what um, sustained attention is. But the other thing is is that our switching between tasks all the time. So some people call it multitasking, but multitasking doesn't actually exist. The brain thinks about things sequentially. It can't focus on more than one thing at a time. Right, okay. So every time we go from looking at our spreadsheet to checking our email to sending yeah. a text message to taking a phone call, we are switching tasks. Got you. And yeah. that is cognitively exhausting. Yes, yeah. So we have a, a limited amount of resource available to our prefrontal cortex, yeah. which is the part of the brain that does all of our really thinking and uh, analytical cognitive tasks. Yeah. Yeah. So if we are constantly switching all the time, yeah. we are draining that cognitive resource unnecessarily. Right. And so as a result, we're getting much more exhausted wow. yeah. um, throughout the day. And, you know, at 2.33 yeah. o'clock in the afternoon is when you mm. start reaching for the caffeine That's or right. the, the biscuits or the slice. Yes. Um, and it's because we're running out of cognitive resource. Wow. So when we're multitasking or, you know, switching bet between certain things, you're saying that the any attention that we have on, on any certain task is completely becoming diluted. We're getting more exhausted. So how do you tell someone who, you know, who's a busy professional or, or even a student who they've got so many things on their agenda to do? Um, is it a matter of slowing down, working on one task at a time? Is it getting sufficient rest in between tasks? What bit of advice would you have to, to someone with a very hectic schedule? 
Yeah. So my first piece of advice would be to chunk like tasks. Mm -hmm. So if you are in analytical mode, you stay in analytical mode and you do those tasks. If you're in creative mode, you you stay in creative mode and you do your creative tasks. Right. So you'll notice that. It feels like a different mindset sometimes when you go from sort of reading a spreadsheet to having to to write a letter to someone perhaps. Yes. So um, that would be my first piece of advice. Some good advice there. The second would be to take regular brain breaks. So the resource available to our prefrontal cortex is exhaustible, but it's also refreshable. Okay. So... Every 50 minutes, five zero fifty 50 minutes, yep. if we just take five minutes break and we just go off task and give our prefrontal cortex a rest, okay. we will engage at a much higher cognitive level wow. than we would to, you know, just keep pushing on. Sure. So every 50 hour. minutes, yeah. you guys take a five-minute break? Just take a five-minute break. So that means yeah. no back-to-back meetings either. Yeah. So you, we should be finishing our meetings mm. with enough time to refresh that cognitive resource before we go into our second meeting. A bit of a little recharge. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. And yeah. that could be, mm. you know, just a walk outside. It could be, you know, just having a drink of water and, and sure. you know, sitting quietly or yeah. meditating or breathing or whatever it is you yes. like to do yeah. to refresh that yeah. Yeah. resource. And I think that's important advice because obviously that there are – some things that don't work for everyone, things like meditation. Mm. Um, so it's important to, to find what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I, it, I always um, think of that old adage, and I can't mm. remember who it was now, that said if they had to cut down a tree, they would spend the first, you know, seven hours sharpening their saw. Yes. Uh, yeah. And um, <laughs> so, and I think... That's that's what it is. So we, we yes. you know we feel very busy, and we are very busy. Mm. I mean, it, it, we all are. Yeah. But it's taking that time deliberately yeah. to get yourself ready to yeah. do your best work. Yeah, that is the important part. Exactly right. Mm. I think it's switching the lens to looking after our mind, thinking of, of our brain as a muscle. Mm-hmm. I think so many people are very concerned of their appearance, their appearance on the outside, and looking after our physical self. Hmm. but we're becoming worn down because we're not looking after the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, we've spoken about technology and some really good pieces of advice um, that you can do to sort of, you know, focus on the one task. But would you say in your in your expertise or in, you know, you being in the field helping your, your clients, are there any trends or patterns that you're seeing in terms of, Things that people are, are grappling with, like, uh, like for instance, do you, do you see uh, mental health increasing? And if so, um, what's what's really um, not not the cause of it, but, but what part of mental health are people most grappling with? Mm. So, I I actually think we're going to see the biggest struggle in the generation that is coming through yes, now, um, right. the millennials and the Gen Zers, because they have they've grown up with technology. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and what we were talking about before with the you know the the inability to um, continue with sustained mm. attention. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the, the com- um, consistent judgment. Uh, from external sources, mm. I think that is going to chip away at, yeah. at, at this generation, um, particularly when it comes to uh, self-concept. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, 
with Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook yeah. and, and all of the other social media mm-hmm. platforms that are out there at the moment, I think this generation are seeking a lot of their self-concept externally. Yes, exactly. So they are caring way too much about yeah. what other people think of them. Couldn't, so couldn't they, agree more. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's an extrinsic yeah. um, interpretation of yeah. themselves, whereas um, mm. when our self-concept comes intrinsically yeah. from things like our values and our purpose, yes. that's when we can maintain our mental health because we are completely in charge of that. Yeah. We are completely in charge of whether we live our life according to our values. Yes. Um, the first step, of course, is to figure out what those values are. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges. I think um, another challenge is going to be the availability of information. The availability of information. Yeah. Yes, so yeah. It, I think it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. So we have so much information available to us, but it mm. can create um, an, almost a paradox of choice where you have so much information and so much content that you yes. consume that you become paralysed by it because you, you don't know which piece to go after. That's right. And I've experienced this myself when I was um, – Setting up my business, I was learning all that I could about content marketing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a lot of information out yeah. there about content marketing. Yes. And what I found was that I kept researching and researching and researching and researching because I just yeah. kept uncovering information after yeah. information. Yeah. And I got to a point where I was researching, but I wasn't doing anything yeah. with Let's that information. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So because I just kept going, and yeah. um, so I had to put a, a note up on my my whiteboard saying information diet until it was the thirty first of March. I remember, yeah. and this was in January, because I had to stop consuming and start creating. Yes. Yeah. And doing something with the information that I'd gathered. So yeah. I think that's going to be a challenge, especially for yeah. those people who love the research and who yeah. love reading and who are incredibly curious. Yeah. Um, it's knowing when to stop yes. and turn your knowledge into action. Into application. Mm. Yeah. I think that yeah, that's two very powerful and intriguing things you mentioned there, um, Diane. I was at a party over the weekend, an eight-year-old's party, and I was having a chat. I'm a, I'm a father myself. I'm having a chat to a fellow parent, and her child is entering the teen years, mm. and she was saying, one thing I'm grappling with is control, not so much controlling, but, but setting parameters around technology. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, it's funny you sort of mentioned those points because we were talking about the, the very same thing, like at at a juncture in a young human's life when they're becoming teenagers and, and creating their self-identity, they're seeking to, to get that from outside sources. And I think it's, it's, like you said, it's going to lead to a myriad of mental health concerns. But as a parent yourself, um, what advice would you give to to – I guess other parents, but to also to you know to young people, mm-hmm. um, and this might be a loaded question here, so bear with me because I think there's two sides to it. So on one side of the equation is how do you how do you sort of level out them looking so much on that external front? How like you mentioned values, mm. so how do you get a teen mind mm. 
to focus on values. So that's the first part of the question. And the, the second part is um, with this this barrage of information that um, that they're getting. You know, how do you sort of how do you get someone? It doesn't necessarily have to be a team, but, but to um, to stop stagnating or you know from being influenced by these outside sources and just start start doing. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's two <laughs> <laughs> big questions. Let's start with the first one. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Uh, what was the first one? <laughs> so how, how, what advice would you give to a teen or, or to a parent um, around that, you know, self-identity piece and, you know, don't mm. look so much what other people are thinking about mm. you. Mm. Focus on yourself and, and get some values together, yeah. whatever that might look like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the first thing is that you have to start having those deep conversations. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I always find that in the car on the way to school and the way home from school is a great time to have yes. those deep conversations yeah. Yeah. because you don't have to look at each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, teens try to, try to avoid eye contact yes. at all times. Yeah. Um, and to, to start, instead of saying, you know, how was your day, say things, things like, um, you know, who, who did you spend time with yeah. today? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you, you know, like about what you did with that yep, person today? Yep. How did you feel yep. when you were with them? Yep. And starting to have those different mm. conversations that um, encourage self-reflection. Yeah. Uh, but okay. also yeah. to encourage um, our kids to look beyond yeah. face value behaviour. Yes. Um, and I, I do this mm. a lot with my kids. Mm. Um because a lot of the behaviour we see from others, um, it, it, it's, it's hiding something else that's behind it. Yeah, right? yeah. So every behaviour has a motivation, every motivation um, mm. meets a need. And so what I say to my kids is that if somebody is, you know, not being very nice to you or yeah. is displaying behaviour that is inappropriate, yeah. just sort of approach that with empathy yeah. and say, I wonder what is going on for that person yeah. Yeah. to make them behave in that way. That is such a great point, yeah. And that's how mm. you encourage that sort of next level mm. thinking in our teenagers where it's not just all about what's... It's not surface level. What's surface yeah. level, but there is something behind it. Yeah. So when you encourage that thinking about what's going on for other people, mm -hmm. you also encourage that sort of introspection. Yes. About that's what's going on for me. Yeah, yeah. How did, How is that person making me feel? Yeah. And what's being triggered in me? Mm. Why am I behaving like this in response yep. to that yes yeah so uh, it's about having those next level conversations yeah, yeah. Mm. couldn't agree more and asking those questions that engage conversation as opposed to something that's just a one answer word you know like mm. what you were saying instead of saying have you had a good day you mm. know tell me who you spent time with so mm. very good and the the second part of the question if i can even remember <laughs> it myself was well, so yes how do we um you know, like you, you put it quite eloquently and you had the ability to do it yourself to, to stop these, this barrage of information mm. and you were able to move forward mm. in what you were doing with your business. Um, but I think it's a very important piece of advice that people need. How do we, and this might go to, to critical thinking, which I think is something students need as well because mm. we're not really looking at, to, at the sources of this information. Yes. We're getting sold things by the best marketers yes. and the quality is not necessarily there. Yep. So, you know, so what? 
and again, this is going to be loaded because I'm just thinking out aloud, but I, I dare say there's realms of critical thinking, but how, how do we stop, and we can't stop the barrage of information, but how do we filter it? Mm. How do we filter it? And instead of remaining stagnant, how do we move forward mm. with whatever we have to do? Okay. So the first thing about how we filter it is, um, <laughs> and this is a very, very simple one. Okay. Stop subscribing to every yes. newsletter <laughs> that offers you so some free downloads. <laughs> yes, amen. <laughs> I get the download and then unsubscribe yes. if, if you want the yeah, content. But I think more. what happens is we, we get all of these emails coming through with all of these newsletters, which may have really great content, but yeah. that is one way that you can filter how much yeah, content yeah. is coming through to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I go through the process pretty much every week of just unsubscribing from one yeah. or two things that I don't Same. even open. Yeah. So just go back through your email inbox and look at the emails that you don't open. Yeah. And if you haven't opened it for six months, just mm -hmm. unsubscribe. Yeah, yeah. So that will decrease the feeling of overwhelm about how much content is coming at you. Uh, the second part of it is along the lines of that critical thinking piece, which is check the source. Yeah. So something that is happening a lot now we are in the gig economy and you know, consultants are becoming more plentiful mm -hmm. is that um, people are presenting themselves as experts in a certain topic because they've read a book on it. <laughs> and um, and, and this, this happens a lot. And so I would really encourage people to check the source of where their yes. information is coming from to make sure that it is credible yeah. and that is, it is right. informed. To make an educated decision, basically. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. that's exactly right. Okay. Um, but in terms of switching from consuming to creation, there just needs to be boundaries around that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if, if you have been consuming for a week and have not created anything or taken action, that should be a red flag That's to you yeah. that you need to stop. Yes. And you could have a simple rule every day mm. that says create something before you consume something. Right. I love it. Yeah. So that could be, um, and when I say create, mm. I, I mean that could be making a call to set up a meeting with somebody. Yep. Yep. It could be writing a piece of content. It could be, um, you know, sharing something on yep. LinkedIn. It could be writing a new piece of yep. um, content for a workshop yep. or a talk that, that you're makes sense. doing, yep. something like yep. this. So that could be a simple rule that you have yep. every day. I love that. So it takes, even if it's just one piece of solid action, mm. physical, tangible action toward your objectives. Yeah. Yep. And then you Fantastic. can consume. Yeah. Love yep. it. Thank you so much, Diane. Um, so look, We'll wrap up things shortly, but uh, towards the end of the podcast, we always like to get to learn a little bit more about the, the person we're interviewing. So just some fun questions mm -hmm. um, for you. What do you like to do outside work mm. when you're not a busy neuroscientist and helping the business world? Wow. I love to sing. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> yes. And my, my children will um, support <laughs> Right. They often say, Mum, can you just stop singing everything that you want us to do? Yeah. Put your clothes in. Don't ask me, but I didn't have to. No, I don't need any encouragement. Um, so I'm in a singing group, which I love. Wow. Uh, yes. And, um, and that, that, that's a big part of my Brilliant. own personal fulfillment. Yeah. Is I it serving as an outlet? 
would you say sometimes? Yeah, it, yeah, it mm. really is because it's it's mine. It's yeah. completely yep. for me. Got you. And, um, you know, I think um, as parents mm. and partners and, you know, members of family, yeah. you need to have time for yourself you to, yeah. to care for yourself. Yeah. And this is, this is so my self-care. So true. Yeah, mm. yep. fantastic. Uh, I also play netball. Right. So, And I've played netball since I was seven years old. I, I don't remember life without netball, yeah. actually. Yeah. So that's that's something else that Brilliant. I do. Yeah. Um, but and I also am a, a voracious consumer of books. Right. So yeah. I'm always reading a book or more than one book yeah. at a time because <laughs> I have a Kindle and you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, why not? And look, I think there's something so important that for our listeners, you know, like you're a very busy person. You're, you're helping, you're a counsellor, you're helping individuals, you're helping the business community, you're upkeeping your knowledge. And some people might be listening, well, how on earth does Diane have the time to, to do these things that – if you're outside looking in, it might seem like fun, but but I think the message we want to get to you listeners is you need to make time for yourself. Yeah. You know? And whether that's something you're passionate about, a hobby, but you know you've got to think of it as recharge mode, yes. so to speak. You know, for your own sanity, for your own mental health. Yeah. And I think there's um there's a lot of guilt, especially for parents, about taking yeah. time out for themselves. Mm-hmm. And what I would say to that is. You will give your best to your kids and your family when you are in the best shape that you you, you can be. Yes. Yeah. And the only way that you can be in the best shape that you can be is to care for yourself. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's actually doing your mm. family a, a service, a service. Yeah. by caring yeah. for yourself. Yeah, yeah. excellent mm. point. And final question, we do have a lot of um, younger listeners, mm-hmm. students who are entering the um the business world. Yep. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give your 21-year-old self? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Don't care so much about yes. what other people think. There you have it. <laughs> <laughs> do what you want to do. Yeah. Um, be persistent. Be resilient. Uh don't live somebody else's dreams and goals. Figure out what you want and go after that. Yeah, fantastic. That is excellent advice. Diane, thank you so much for joining us today on Open Minds. If you want to find out more about uh, Diane, you can visit www.clevermindsconsulting.com.au. Yep, I got it right. Brilliant. And if you want to send me some feedback or if you have any questions for uh, Diane or for our future uh, people that we interview, you can email me directly at paul at tommy, that's T-O-M-I dot org dot A-U. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the next Open Minds podcast. Take care.